Good morning, church family. It's a new day. It's a new year. I pray that this coming year is that we can leave 21 behind us and look forward. Hope springs eternal. I think I mentioned that to someone this morning. Hope does spring eternal. And uh, is to look at our past. For if we don't recognize history, if we don't search history, we have no clue as to where we're headed. Unfortunately, many do not look at history. They keep looking to the future. And if you don't know your history, it's a sad thing. And uh, that is actually what the talk today is about. It's called Covenant in the Heart. Now, we take to heart the Scripture. We need to apply it. Do we not? It's a covenant between ourselves and the good Lord. Let us pause for a moment of prayer. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, once again we humbly come before you. We thank you so much for the privilege of being here today where we can worship Heavenly Father as we choose. Lord, Heavenly Father, be with us as we open up your word. Lord, may it be not my words that come from my lips, but your thoughts. Open up our hearts and our minds. In your Son's holy name, amen. You know, uh, dark clouds truly are gathering, and they cannot be ignored. They are rumbling, and they bring to light, portending across a black-as-midnight sky. We need to look. We need to discern. Those who have sinned against God and man are caused to come out from their hiding places. And all these people wonder, as they look at this rain falling upon their heads, they wonder, why is it raining? When they are truly the people who have brought upon us and themselves what is going on today. They wonder why it's raining. Deuteronomy 30, 17, 18, we cannot turn our mind away from the good Lord and how he has brought us through these tumultuous times. We must have faith, friends. We must have faith and do not stray from the good Lord. Because as he says, if we stray, this is what's going to happen. Now, I was looking, and I'm going to bounce around a little bit today because, and <laughs> I, I, Claudia and I were studying the great controversy, and we came upon the chapter where it says the, pro, the Pilgrim Fathers, the Pilgrim Fathers. And so we're going to back up the bus, because as the Great Reformation was occurring in Europe, many things were brought from the Catholic system into the church. They just couldn't leave it behind. And as 
Ellen G. White points out, the English reformers, while renouncing the doctrines of Romanism, had retained many of its forms. Thus, though the authority and the creed of Rome were rejected, not a few of her customs and ceremonies were incorporated into the worship of the Church of England. It was claimed that these things were not matters of conscience, that though they were not commanded in Scripture and hence were non-essential, yet being forbidden, they were not intrinsically evil. Hmm. Their observance tended to narrow the gulf which separated the Reformed churches from Rome, and it was urged that they would promote the acceptance of the Protestant faith by the Romanists. To the conservative and compromising, these arguments seemed conclusive. But there was another class that did not so judge. The fact that these customs tended to bridge over the chasm between Rome and the Reformation was, in their view, a conclusive argument against retaining them. They still wanted to be friends with the system that killed 50 million plus Christians. They still wanted to bridge that gap. They reasoned that God has in his word established the regulations governing his worship and that men are not at liberty to add to these or to detract from them. The very beginning of the great apostasy was in seeking to supplement the authority of God by that of the church. Rome began by enjoining what God had not forbidden, and she ended by forbidding what he had explicitly enjoined. Now, as we look at this, there was in this beginning of the Reformation, people who still wanted to reach out to Rome. But there were the Puritans who believed that that was not the way to go. The Puritans. And as we look at this history, At the opening of the 17th century, the monarch who had just ascended the throne of England declared his determination to make the Puritans conform, harry them out of the land or else worse. Hunted, persecuted, and imprisoned, they could discern in the future no promise of better days, and many yielded to the conviction that for which such as would serve God according to the dictates of their conscience. England was ceasing forever to be a habitable place for the Puritans. Now this is the time when the Puritans left England and went to Holland. These pilgrims were the ones that landed on the coast of Eastern America eventually. So you understand where we're going here? Get get the history, the historical, historical, what's going on? Some at last determined to seek refuge in Holland. Difficulties, losses, and imprisonment were encountered. Their purposes were thwarted, and they were betrayed into the hands of their enemies. But steadfast perseverance finally conquered, and they found shelter on the friendly shores of the Dutch Republic. So all these pilgrims, these Protestants who wanted to, the purity of 
religion went to Holland. So from Holland, they then came to America. In their flight, they had left their houses, their goods, their means of livelihood, and they were strangers in a strange land. They were forced to resort to new untried occupations to learn and earn their bread. Middle-aged men who had spent their lives in tilling the soil had now to learn mechanical trades. Though often pinched with poverty, they thanked God for the blessings which were still granted them and found their joy in unmolested spiritual communion. Are we today worshiping in unmolested spiritual communion? Right? As we sit here today, we, can, we, we chose to be where we are today, did we not? And there aren't any police knocking at the door, right? In the midst of exile and hardship, their love and faith waxed strong, and they trusted the Lord's promises, and he did not fail them in their time of need. So, what they did is they made the pilgrimage to a brave new world. And that's where it all started here in the United States. With them came Roger Williams. Now, Roger Williams, not the singer, okay, but he was a reformist back in these de- this day. Now, you have to understand that even here when they finally got to America, attendance in the beginning of the established church was required under penalty of fine and imprisonment. This was back in the days of the pilgrim. What was going on is that the established government was requiring that you, 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 you had to go to the church that was established by the government. Hmm. Wasn't that just what you were trying to get out of, right? But here in the beginning, in America, this was planted. To compel men to unite with those of a different creed. He regarded this, Mr. Mr. Williams, or Roger, uh, Roger Williams, as an open violation of their natural rights to drag to public worship the irreligious and the unwilling seemed only like requiring hypocrisy. No one should be bound to worship, he added, to maintain worship against his own consent. Well, his opposition said, What? Amazed at these new tenets, is not the laborer worthy of his hire? Yes, he replied, we replied, from them that hire him. In other words, what was going on here is that because you were working for the state, you had to go along with what the state required you to do religiously. And here the opposition, Roger Williams, who was a respected and beloved faithful minister, was saying, no, no, no. That's not the way God intended 
You're not to be forced into worshiping. So, he ran off. Okay, he couldn't take it because they wanted to imprison Mr. Williams. And basically what happened is Rogers Williams' colony that he established finally, that every man should have liberty to worship God according to the light of his own conscience. And guess what state this was? This tiny little state. How did you know this? You should be up here preaching. Not me. You Come on. No, no. Rhode Island became the asylum of the oppressed, and it increased and prospered until its foundation principles, civil and religious liberty, became the cornerstone of the American Republic. In that grand old document, which our fathers set forth at their Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, they declared, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Amen. But what's going on today, friends? Now, I'm going to move forward into my... I I wanted to get that out there so that we know where, where, where we came from and how it was established way back when. Now, if you were alive, if you were alive back in uh, August 24th, 1814, I don't think any of us were in here, no? (laughs) And also today, if you were to go out and ask, what is the most powerful nation on the earth? So if you went out and interviewed anybody on the street, what would they say? America. What? I would hope so. I would hope so. Or is that Russia? No, no, it's, it's America. It's America. But anyway, if you were alive back on August 24th, 1814, and we always wonder, is God really, did he set up America? Did, was he involved in what America became? And we're also going to look at Revelations 13, 11, I saw another beast. And what is a beast? You know what this is. A nation coming up out of the earth. He had two horns. And what were they? Republicanism and Protestantism. Separation of church and state. Right? Now you may wonder, well, where is he getting that? But this young lady right here, she knows. She she knows. Yes. Separation of church and state, uh, civil and religious liberty, and like a lamb and spoke like a dragon. That's America. That's America. Now again, if you were alive back on August 24, 1814, living in Washington, D.C., you might have witnessed a once-in-American history miracle. The British were upset because the newly formed American colonies were flourishing after they kicked the tyrannical Brits out and sent them back to England. We gave them the boot. We told them to go home. Get out of here. We don't need you. Well, the Brits wanted the colonies back and overwhelmed the U.S. defenders and began to burn down all the important buildings in the District of Columbia. 
including the White House. You know that about history? Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, President James Madison and the top government officials safely escaped earlier that day. The next day, the cheeky British paid little heed to an approaching powerful summer thunderstorm. Now, do we know what a tornado is, being from Texas? Have you ever seen one? Have you ever felt one? You know, when I was growing up, I remember waking up numerous times at night. Now, I was from, I'm from Pennsylvania, okay? So I remember, as I was a kid, I'd wake up and, you know, these thunderstorms would be running. But I'd get up and I'd look to the west. I had a western window. And I would stand there and I'd watch these storms. And I would wonder. And I would think about a tornado. Now, being from Pennsylvania, you know, they're sort of a rarity. But I would think about tornadoes. Now, why did I think about tornadoes? Well, here I am in Texas. <laughs> Today, now I really think about tornadoes. In fact, we've got a storm shelter. Anyway, the next day, the cheeky British paid little heed to an approaching powerful thunder, summer thunderstorm. Around 2 p.m., as the mounting winds shrieked and whirled about, a violent tornado dropped from the dark sky into the center of the captured capital. It touched down upon Constitution Avenue and headed directly for the Brits' camp on Capitol Hill. It was a heavy downpour, and it put out all the fires that the Brits put in place. Well, that twister followed uprooted trees, buildings, and sent cannons sailing into the air. Many British invaders also perished during that storm. By the next morning's light, the decimated British packed it in, and they left town. Hmm. Many historians believe that this was truly a divine intervention that protected the fledgling nation during this conflict. I'd have to agree. I would have to agree. America would go on and become known worldwide as a champion of civil and religious liberty. And if that's true, the Lord Lord God does nothing unless he reveals it to his servants, the prophets. Amos 3.7 It is certainly possible that the USA is mentioned in biblical prophecy. Could it be that the U.S. will play a pivotal role in world events in these momentous last day events that will usher in the second coming of Jesus Christ? I'd say it's very logical. The First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution begins, Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. However, according to the Bible, this amendment, designed to ensure that the government would never impose a national religion or mandate how its citizens worship, someday just might be abandoned. What do you think? Think it's in play today? The process is going on? 
America is no longer that humble, fledgling nation seeking its wings. Today, it is a venerable, savvy, global superpower. But there's a violent storm coming. Dark clouds are gathering around the planet, and America will play a key role in all the final scenes as they unfold. It is unimaginable to think that this planet without America's military, financial and political power, its influence is unparalleled in human history. Up and out of the earth, from the little population America was born. In the prophetic book, Revelation, comes the imagery of two beasts, symbolizing two kingdoms, rising to prominence during these last days. And I saw a beast, a kingdom, rising up out of the sea. Waters, dense population is what that means. Revelations 13.1, this represents the Romanist system. The papacy defined repeatedly in the Bible prophecy as it is predominantly religious power whose ambition is to steal worship meant only for God. As they dominated Europe, uninterrupted for 1,260 years, their power was crippled by a deadly wound in Revelations 13.3. Napoleon's General Berthier in 1798 was sent to capture the Pope, and he died in captivity. Thus the words historically came true in Revelations 13.10. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills by the sword must be killed by the sword. At the same time this occurred, scriptural scriptural documents tell us that a second beast, a second nation would emerge on the world stage. And what nation was birthed around the same time as the Romanist church's apparent demise? The U.S. declared independence in 1776. It voted to adopt the Constitution in 1787. And by 1798, other nations recognized it as an independent power. So America fits the Bible's timing perfectly. The good Lord does not mince words. Does not mince words. The old world was Europe, and America became the brave new world. If they could lay claim and maintain it, because it was a far cry from the docks of London, it was a far cry from the docks of Holland, it wasn't just a stone's throw from the docks of Liverpool. Once you docked on any shore back then in the USA, guess what? You were pretty much on your own. You were pretty much on your own. In the early 1800s, the population density of Europe was approximately 10 times that of the United States. 10 times. In 1803, Napoleon sold the U.S. the largest land purchase ever. Napoleon sold 828,000 square miles for a mere 
paltry sum of $15 million. I don't know. I could use $15 million. In today's currency, $15 million is $367 million today. This doubled the size of this new republic and held the future for the continental power of America. Again, we refer back to Revelations 13.11, and we know what it says, 13.11, right? Here we go, and as a ruling power, the U.S. is a republic instead of a monarchy. The horns represent its two essential governing principles, which are what? Civil and religious liberty. Founding father and fifth president of the U.S. wrote of the liberty of conscience in matters of religious faith, of speech and of press, of the trial by jury of the vicinage in civil and criminal cases, of the benefit of the writ of habeas corpus, of the right to keep and bear arms. If these rights are well defined and secured against encroachment, it is impossible impossible that government should ever degenerate into tyranny. Those were bold words. What's going on today? Hmm? They're toying with these ideas. Republicanism and Protestantism, the division of church and state, these two tenets established in these countries' founding documents, the Constitution in its first group of amendments, the Bill of Rights defined the fundamental objective of the United States of America. It exists to serve the common individual and to preserve the individual's inalienable rights. This was the founding thought. There are no crowns here, like unto what prophecy refers to as the first beast the sea beast in Revelations 13.1. And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. Water means people. Having seven heads and ten horns upon his ten horns and on his ten crowns, or ten crowns, and upon his head blasphemy. Crowns mean a monarchy. And as we know that America is a republic, what is this sea beast? It is a monarchy. It is the Romanist system, friends. America was considered innovative, the great democratic experiment. And in Revelation, prophecy, America, the second beast with the horns of a lamb. And like a lamb, it was at that time a young couple of centuries old. It was not a predator or a persecutor like the Romanist system whom they fled from that had occupied Europe, but considered itself a champion of freedom and the welfare of its people. And as history proves, the welfare of the people in other nations. We have come, friends, from a very determined lineage of historical value. 
that promoted republicanism, Protestantism, not only within our boundaries, but worldwide. What is going on? What is the most intriguing is this of this new nation, America fashioned itself after the Lamb, Jesus Christ, that it is largely founded on Christian principles. Most of the signers of the Declaration of Independence were Christians, as were all the early Supreme Court justices. Not like today, where most of the justices are what? Roman Catholic. Within the Romanist system, most citizens were taxed to death to support a state-endorsed religion, and religious dissidents were often oppressed or killed, as in the Dark Ages. This new nation, America, stood apart as the standard-bearer for freedom. This is the pillar of Christian faith. Worship of the true God is one that is done without coercion. The Bible tells us that God invites all to come to him. Matthew eleven twenty eight states, Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Revelation three twenty, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, calling to our hearts, inviting us to come in. James 1, 5, if any of you lack wisdom, let him speak of God that giveth to all men liberally and unbraideth not, and it shall be given to him. No strings attached or payment required, God says. Leviticus 18.5, you, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord, the true God leaves the choice up to us. Instead of tyranny, the United States is known the world over as the champion of freedom, religious liberty, principles of free speech, freedom of press, and free market. For all these reasons, multitudes of people from around the world would risk life to come and become a citizen of these United States. Could all this change? Absolutely. Is it happening today? They're tightening the noose. Does America exist today for the same principles which the founding fathers set into place? Hmm? No. The times, they are changing. Ben Franklin said after the Constitution was put into place, they now have a republic if they can keep it. Scripture tells us that at first the United States will look like a lamb, but sadly it will speak and become and act like a dragon. Scripture tells us that the dragon is Satan, and Revelation 12.9 illustrates his intent. Deception, violence, Ruthlessness and persecution are Satan's methods of operation while he exists here on earth. In Revelations 12, verses, and you can, I'm not, we're not going to go all to all of these, but you just can make a note of it. In Revelations 12, verses 4, 12, 13, 15, and 17, 
depict his plan in historical fashion. Satan, does he love God? Mm -mm. Satan hates God. He conquers by brute force, and he hates and abuses all followers of God. Satan's plan today is the same as it always was and has been. He needs to usurp God and force people to worship and obey him. Isaiah fourteen twelve to 14. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which dies weakest the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. These are his intentions. This is what he wants. A nation speaks through its policies and mandates. If scripture reveals that the U.S. will speak like a dragon, it will use some form of legislation to enforce Satan's bidding. Think about that. How could the sweet land of liberty do such a thing? And why would it do so? Let's consider Bible prophecy regarding the sweet lamb turning into a second beastly creature. Number one, it will exercise all the authority of the first beast. Revelation 13, 12. As was papal Rome, Daniel 7, 21, 25, Revelations 13, 7. These are all footnotes. The USA will evolve into a persecuting power that will compel worship out of harmony with Scripture and against individual conscience. The stage is setting. The stage is being set. Two, causes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Revelations thirteen twelve. The USA will not seek worship for itself, but instead will urge everyone in the world to declare allegiance to the Antichrist. Number three, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who was once wounded by the sword and lived. Revelations thirteen fourteen. An image is a likeness or representation. An image of the first beast would be the representation of the papacy. In other words, a mirror image of it. In order for the USA to make copy of the papacy, a church state government, it would have to set aside its founding principles and combine church and state, and upon doing so, imitate the imitation of the papacy at the height of its power during the dark ages. This is what it is in the, in the plan, you see. The USA will then legislate religious observance with the papacy. It will then influence all the nations of the world to follow its example. What's going on in the rest of the world today? The day of rest. We need to separate. 
on Sunday and initiate a day of rest. This is happening in Europe as we speak, as we stand here today. It has already been implemented in different nations. Number four, and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. Revelations thirteen fifteen. Just as the papacy slew millions for their faith in the Dark Ages, the USA will then use its influence to impose a death sentence upon those who persist in refusing to worship the beast or his image. They're placing mandates in nations in Europe. We, as the United States of America, have not seen this yet. But it is happening. It is happening. It may seem ridiculous that the stalwart paradigm for religious liberty, America, would never, ever interfere with, the, with our freedom of worship. Our propose or propose worship call out all people to worship in any, any entity, no less the papacy, who had at one time killed 50 million Christians for not following their specific agenda. Over the past year, within these United States, because of this COVID response, there have been nudges, if you will, if you want to call it that, for us to analyze, to wake up, us to ask the question, what's going on? And we should question, friends. We need to question. It is our right to freedom of choice to accept or refuse, especially when it comes to putting something foreign into our bodies. Even if it is claimed to be safe and for the betterment of our health under the assumption that it is for the safety of all mankind and included in this equation are also our children. I'm not putting anybody down for accepting or getting vaccinated. I'm not doing that. I'm just saying that we need to really think about it. And we have to question and ask where this has come from. Whoa, who, why, what has, it, has put this into play? And most importantly, the big question, why? Those people who question, and it's myself included, I put up my hand, are told to shut up so that we do not influence or create vaccine hesitancy in others. There are many much greater and wiser people out there than me who have been censored after calling out the powers that be who are pushing this worldwide vaccine agenda. I'm a nobody, okay? But I got a question. I got to ask questions. I'm sorry, I'm a child of the 60s. I'm a child of the 60s. You know what that history says about me, don't you? We must ask the question, Why do they fear investigation? Why do they call us conspiracy theorists? When as we peel away the sugar-coated guise they use, it is extra protection against the COVID virus, really? 
The shot enhances your immune system, really? Go along to get along and benefit all humanity. I must, I must ask, are they the conspiracy? Hmm? Consider that by and through this pandemic, the powers that be have manipulated our freedoms. They have trampled and trashed the very Constitution and the Bill of Rights, which holds together our democracy. Do you believe it? You'd better. But I'm nobody, okay? Remember that. I'm just stating my concerns. Stating my concerns. Isn't it amazing how quickly worldwide people and all societies were shut down? Social distancing implemented and masks, division of family, quarantines, businesses shut down, churches closed, churches closed, really? But the liquor stores, they're a necessity. (laughs) Got to have that. How methodically it was done with no reason behind it. It was a method. It was a method. Now, Dr. Peter McCullough, have ever, has everyone heard who Dr. Peter McCullough is? He's from Dallas. From Dallas. Now, he sat before Congress and he proposed that perhaps... A repurposing of drugs, which were already in place, such as hydroxychloroquine. Now, all you farmers know this. All you cattle people know about ivermectin, don't you? Hmm? And the addition of anti-inflammatories could be used for COVID patients before they reach the critically hospitalized stage, that it would be best if we did that to keep people out of the hospitals. It sounds reasonable to me because by using the RNA treatment through the emergency protocol, emergency protocol mandate, and push it untested without clinical study and trial could be very dangerous to humans. Imagine that. They deemed him... With all his accreditations, and I've heard his accreditations, they are longer than my arm. They deemed him a snake oil salesman. Hmm. Really? Megan Redshaw, who was an attorney and an investigative journalist for the Defender, Children's Health Defense News and Views, claims to have uncovered by following the money that in 2022, Pfizer and Moderna are set up in place to make $93 billion. Whew. We're talking about $93 billion <laughs> after taxes? Really? $93 billion. The government and its agencies are a revolving door when it comes to the aggression of big pharma. But wait a minute. The shot's free. How many believe that? Huh? 
Who in here pays taxes? I pay a lot of taxes. That's where they get the money. They get it from all we foolish people who are, oh yeah, I want four jabs. Not just one, I want my boosts. I'm not, I'm not proposing, okay, I'm not, you do what you want to do, okay? What's right for you is what's right for you. Revelations 19.23, And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants, merchants were the great men of earth. For by the sorceries were all nations deceived. I'm going to dwell on sorceries. If you look up the word sorceries in Strong's, okay, guess what it means? Anybody have a guess, clue? It means pharmakia. Pharmakia. So now let's place sorceries, replace sorceries. For by thy pharmacies were all nations deceived. Isn't that curious? I'm not making any of this stuff up, okay? I'm not making it up. Sounds like a prophecy to me. Mark 8, 36 to 37. And I say this to those people out there. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Hmm? Follow the money. When my wife goes out shopping, she comes to me and she goes, what's that mean? Robert F. Kennedy Jr. suggested conspiracy in an interview promoting his book called The Real Dr. Fauci. He claimed that a case study was conducted over many years by clinicians Scientists, psychologists, the military, the CIA, and all world leaders. They used a swath of people cut from all walks of life to be fair. When fear factors were applied, most people folded to the pressure of high authority. In fact, the study showed that under pressure, 67% of all people gave sway and only 33% stood for what was right. This is interesting. If you look at the numbers concerning those vaxxed, as opposed to the unvaxxed, the percentage holds true. Isn't this incredible? 33% stood up and said, "Ah, uh-uh. I ain't going along with the deal. When the case study was completed, they found those who gave up first were those that they deemed as the expendable part of the population. Expendable. Those who gave in. 
expendable. Who has the right to judge who is or who is not expendable? There's some diabolical stuff going on. Diabolical. And they did this under the guise of the emergency protocol. That also means that Big Pharma is off the hook. Because under the emergency protocol, if there are adverse reactions, who pays for such litigation? Say if I, today I get a vaccination and I become deathly ill because of it. My body says, no. And I come back and I say, hey, Pfizer, hey, Moderna, guess what? You gave me some bad goods. I can't litigate. I have to go and I have to sue the U.S. government. And who pays for that? Who pays taxes in here? Oh, yeah. Boy, they get us coming and going, don't they? Well, as the storm clouds grow darker on our horizon, to whom will people turn? Will they turn to the U.S. government? Will they turn to Dr. Fauci? As it holds hands with the papacy claiming a day of Sunday rest, will people look to science to carry them through? Will they turn to the church? And which church will they turn to? To whom will you turn? Who will you place your faith in, friends? Mark 8:38. Whoever shall be ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, in him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in his glory of his Father with the holy angels. Dear friends, I hope we are standing on the rock of Jesus. Amen? Amen. I think it would be wise for all of us to place our faith to be guided specifically in the words of this book. Do I get an amen? Amen. That's the end of today's study. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, oh, be with us. Help us to trust and obey. Trust and obey in your Son, Jesus Christ, Heavenly Father. Help us to stand, Heavenly Father, Help us to move forward, Heavenly Father, in this coming new year. Watch over us, protect us, and guide us, Heavenly Father. In your Son's name, Jesus Christ, amen.